I think you can find out a lot of different things throughout your, well, about yourself through your ideas. And so through me being able to passionately create Liddy Juice and come up with this idea of something that tastes good, looks good, and smelled good, mm-hmm. I could standardize a lot of the jungle juices on campus at the time and pitch that to the student population. My, I took my college passion or my interests in it as well and then created something that could, I could make money off of. everybody welcome to a new episode of this week's bright idea podcast a show where i sit down with entrepreneurs to hear about the aha moment that launched their businesses if you're new here welcome and if you're not new here welcome back if you're listening to this episode in a car or on your way to work or on a run i suggest that you pause this and you wait until you can watch it because again we're in person and it's worth the watch On this week's episode, we are sitting down with Terrence Wheeler. He is the founder of Lumiere Vodka, a luxury vodka brand that went through 51 iterations before it became the drink that it is today. But before we get into this episode, I feel that I have to give a little bit of a background on Terrence. So Terrence went to Hampton University, an HBCU located in Hampton, Virginia, and he studied criminal justice, which is way different than you know, starting a vodka company or entrepreneurship. He wanted to be in corporate law. He also was on the Hampton football team. And we all know how those football parties are or just parties in general in college. And so he went to these parties and he would notice that people were drinking jungle juice. You know, that drink that we all know where you pour all the alcohol that you could possibly think of into a big tub along with like some Kool-Aid or maybe some like juice. You mix it all up and that's your drink for the night. It gets you super lit and then it also gets you super sick. Terrence was noticing that people were becoming super sick and he decided that he wanted to create his own drink which is very ambitious, by the way. I didn't think of that. But so while he was in his dorm room, Terrence was concocting these drinks, this vodka that he was creating in his dorm room, where he would take these Ziploc bags with these straws, sort of like a Capri Sun, and he would sell them for $5 all over campus. And he was noticing that people loved it. They loved the flavor. They loved the creativity. They weren't getting sick. And Terrence named this Liddy Juice. Now, while Lumiere Vodka is light years ahead from what Liddy Juice once was, I think that it's important to share this story of what just an idea turned into. So this is an episode that you don't just want to listen to. You want to watch it. It's an amazing story about how an idea turned into a full-fledged vodka company, and I can't wait for you guys to all tune in. Was Liddy Juice your passion? (laughs) (laughs) So Liddy Juice was, it was my college passion. It, it was, it was an idea. Okay. I think you can find out a lot of different things throughout your, well, about yourself through your ideas. And so through me being able to passionately create Liddy Juice and come up with this idea of something that tastes good, looked good, and smelled good, mm-hmm. I could standardize a lot of the jungle juices on campus at the time and pitch that to the student population. 
my I took my college passion or my interests in it as well, and then created something that could I could make money off of. Like, take me through. <laughs> I was a student athlete as well, only ran for two years, but I remember like the athlete parties, um, whether it was like during preseason or, um, you know, during like winter training, like the athletes always had like a house that they would go to and we would throw these parties and jungle juice, like you mentioned, was always like the main drink. Can you take me through like what sort of your experience was like on campus in these like party scenes and then what led to you um, creating your own vodka or your own drink on campus? Yes, yes. As far as the the jungle juice, I noticed I would go to parties. I was always very ob- observational. So I would go to parties, observe people and the way that they were interacting and what they were drinking. Mm-hmm. A lot of people always had different types of juices that they would make or the party hosts would make a juice or jungle juice. And they would mix all these types of different things. And then some people love it. Some people hate it. But even overall, people would get sick. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, man, how can I figure something out as far as making something that people actually like just yeah. consistently? And then people actually looked forward to when they went to the party. And I saw there was a good fit for something. And I was like, man, I'm going to make something lit. Because I noticed everyone started, that's when everyone started calling everything lit. Yeah. What year was this, by the way? This was, I, I can't, I think it was around 20, 2017, 2018. Okay. Yeah. And I only asked because lit was like the word. That was the word. That was, everything was lit. <laughs> everything was lit. Yeah. <laughs> the party was lit. The car was lit. Exactly. <laughs> the school was lit. This is clean. Lit. Recycled. Lit. Bills paid. Lit. Got some milk. For the cereal? Lit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this makes sense. Yeah. So you made something that wouldn't make, that would be lit, but wouldn't make people sick. Right. Okay. So I read in a few articles that you started off by adding liquor to these like sandwich bags with yes. like uh, straws. Yes. yes. <laughs> Can you like <laughs> take me through that? Give us a visual of what that even like looked like or how it was even consumed. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, it was a pretty much a homemade cocktail and it had this greenish blue shoot to it. Uh-huh. More, more kind of greenish than anything. And it was in a snack. I took a snack baggie, poked the whole through with a straw and it looks like something like a pre-sign. Yeah, and exactly. People could relate to that and they could associate with that. And Man, it smelled really, really nice. And when you tasted it, you didn't really get any type of like ethanol or alcohol type of taste to it. It just tasted good. Right. And like, yeah, five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you would charge was five dollars. Five dollars. Okay. College price. How were you making it? I I never told people it was in it. Okay. It was just like a secret trade to it. And in your dorm room or like your off campus apartment or like what? It was both. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you have friends that were helping you out or were you just like making these on your own? I was the only person that I made the juice. Oh my God. So I think okay. people were really, really attracted to that mystery. Yeah. That only I knew how to make the juice. Okay. <laughs> what was sort of the reaction from like some of the students? Like if I was, if some, if my friend approached me with a Ziploc baggie with a hole punched through, I'd be like, so like, should I be drinking this? But like, obviously people did. 
What was the reaction? A lot of people run in there and they just be like, man, what are you putting in this? Why does it taste this good? Yeah. Now, why Why am I feeling this nice off, this, off a low amount? And then people ask me questions as far as just the process of it mm-hmm. and the mystery of why does it taste nice? Why does it look, why does it, why is it this color? And then why is it, why is it Liddy Juice in general? <laughs> <laughs> and then once people, once it caught on and it was a brand of people, mm-hmm. then everyone, I think, I think it was just turning everybody's world. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to hop on here real quick to tell you to check out my episode with Tori Orr, an investor with Vera Equity. On this episode, we dive into what is venture capital, how to raise it, and some common misconceptions about funding your business. I think we have a tendency to, to kind of build and do things with with um, always thinking about how others would view them. Um, so it's like, what what job should I choose that's going to sound the most impressive or what company should I work at that's going to, you know, turn the most heads when I introduce myself in a room or from a founder's perspective, like what business should I build that's going to get venture funding or what, what are VCs interested in? And then they try to go build that. I don't think that's the right approach. You can listen to my episode with Tori Orr and all of the guests on my podcast by searching a bright idea podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available back to the show. So you were still, like you had mentioned, um, a criminal justice major thinking that you were going to go into corporate law. Like what was, was there an aha moment that you were like, I think I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I think I'm going to run with this concept of creating a vodka that tastes good. I don't, the definition of entrepreneur or really the term entrepreneur did not pop in my head in college at the time. When I was, when I was selling Liddy Juice, it was really an innocent thing. I just, it was, it was a college hustle. I just wanted to have fun, also make money off of things that were my interests as well, and then make everyone happy as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't my full idea at the time to be like, man, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to become a professional at this once I got out of school. It was, it was at a point where Lady Juice had grew to a point <clears throat> of other people's interests in which People helped me form my decision as far as, man, I can, if I'm, if I'm this effective now and I'm this good at this now, what's it going to be like three or five years from now? Mm-hmm. And one person that walked in one day was just like, man, you going to start a company or something? And this is at a point where I had, I was putting Liddy Juice in glass bottles mm-hmm. and let's take my inkjet printer, printing biohazard sign, a fiery phone on there, slapping Liddy Juice on there. And then I was like, man, this could be something. And then that's when it kind of gave me that aha moment. And that was towards, really towards the end of the Lady Jude era. So how did you, so you have this idea, how do you bring it to an actual product? So the, the tough part about that was being able to tap into education or, or influencers or people who had the practical knowledge of doing it that just weren't even in your network. That was that was the hardest part of it. And then also having the business acumen and the business foundation to be able to even know how to move and navigate just this whole business universe. Right. So I had to go out and go get the business education first. I mean, I read a lot of books, attended seminars, talked to people who had did it themselves. Yeah. Talked to the entrepreneurs themselves. And 
I had gotten so much information and got my own certifications and things or digital marketing. Um, did, did, did some, did some lab work as well with some scientists okay. and just learned, just learned the trade overall. And then I started developing Lumiere. I sourced about 20 different suppliers nationally, and internationally. And then we landed with Dutch craft distillery, a Dutch vodka, and then took about five years to formulate Lumiere. Yeah. I want to get back to that in a second, but okay. one of the things is like, you think I'm thinking about the timeline in which all of this was going down. So you graduated in 2018 and I remember during that time was when people started getting into the flavored seltzers and tequila became a big thing and like vodka almost took a back, like took a back seat compared to all of the other alcohols. So when did you decide like the taste and how you were going to make it different and kind of like bring vodka back as a drink? So this is a big part about starting the Lumiere Vodka brand, which is having a good business case for it. And when I started Lumiere, I noticed that flavor vodkas had a huge trend, had a big run, I made a lot of money for the segment. And I think it kind of segued into some other things outside of what I'm saying right now. But the flavor vodka trend was huge and people already had that palate for it. Yeah. And when you say flavored vodka, are you talking about like the pinnacles and like. Yes, the pinnacle lids, okay. you know, the, the smeared off apple. The Ciroc cherry. You see that Ciroc peach, <laughs> yeah, pineapple, all, all, that, yeah. all that stuff. And Ciroc in itself, just that, just that brand overall really took off in the category and gave flavor vodka like fame. Mm-hmm. And I had noticed that it was going to go down sooner or later. You know, something can only be so hot but for so long. Mm. But people's palates had changed at that point. And people were interested in things that were naturally tasty and naturally flavorful and also had fragrance to them. So, like, I'm going to create a brand around people's interests. Mm. And that's how Lumiere really got started. And then I, I only would work with a distiller that could help me meet that that vision and that concept. And that's how we ended up forming a relationship with Dutch Craft Distillery in order to do that. Okay, so Dutch Craft <coughs> Distillery, they're international, right? Are they Correct. based in, where are they based? They're based in Zewell, Netherlands, the rural part of Holland. How did you discover them? <laughs> so we, so as far as the, the procurement process, the sourcing process, it, it takes, it takes a while and then relationships are a big part of it as far as how you form those relationships with your suppliers because there's a supplier at each level of brand growth. And when I was trying to work with other suppliers, especially American made ones before I decided the Netherlands would be the best place for us, it was always about minimum runs, technicalities, you know, making things just just really, really cheap in terms uh-huh. of and and not really about the creativity and and the importance of putting the consumer first. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we landed with Dutch Craft Distillery, I I probably I'd called. It took a lot of calls, took a lot of emails, took a lot of meetings. We did a lot of virtual meetings. Sometimes I would go physically to the plants to go talk to these distillers, mm-hmm. and we were able to work it out with Roloff and worked on an international contract, and then. Took us 51 iterations after going through just recipe, 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 mm-hmm. where we get to this perfect concept and this perfect uh, equilibrium between fragrance and flavor, mm-hmm. where we land with multi barley and vanilla sugar. Mm-hmm.
vodka. This is made in Holland. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be very, very unconventional, what you would normally have for a vodka, because it's just tastier. It's a lot more tastier, a lot more pleasant on the palate. And before you even get to the tasting note part of it, when you smell it, immediately, it just smells unconventionally different than what yeah. you have for a vodka. You get these nice vanilla fragrances. I was going to say, I smell vanilla. It's not like that like strong like vodka smell that you get with others. Correct, correct. So this makes it a lot more approachable mm-hmm. on the nose right away. And then we smell, well, we taste what we smell. So once you can get just a real, real good smelling or nosing interaction going mm-hmm. with people, when you taste it, Has like some subtle sweetness on entrance, yeah, and then you'll get like those those strong tasting notes of vanilla bean, butterscotch. It's almost like a toasted brown sugar taste. Yeah, you know, finishes, and then you should get at the end. Like once you really really taste what's in your mouth, you'll get like this lingering finish of almost like a fresh bread. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the really 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 remarkable part of this distillate that makes it something that people just want to consistently drink. Yeah. If I were to, so a consumer takes this home, like you mentioned in the interview, a lot of people have their like home bars, we have the shakers and all the things. If I want to make like a cocktail for myself, what is like your recommended mix? This pairs super well with, so I'll go from basic to complex. So mm-hmm. pairs super well with cranberry juice. That's our number one recommended simple mixer. And then if you were to step that up a level, we can cosmopolitan. Okay. Really nice. Those vanilla notes really sit yeah. on top of those fresh citrus tasting notes of, of a cosmopolitan really, really well. Kind of adds a little bit of sweetness to it as well. And then if you were to get a little more complex with it, I'd say depending on what type of drinker. A dirty martini is pretty easy to make, but I'd say it's still more for more sophisticated drinker. Kind of has that brininess of the olive juice in there, but then Lumero really balance it all out. Mm. You'll have it'll be slightly sweet, slightly salty, but then just really pleasant. And then you just add about three olives in there. And you're nice. good to go. Just good to go. That's nice. Remind us again where people can find Lumiere. You can find Lumiere Vodka and throughout Maryland and DC. We're in almost 140 locations now. We have a store finder on our website that will bring up your location, your nearest store location, mm-hmm. wherever you are. And then you also can order online through our website. We ship to 49 states except Alaska. Getting back to the ingredients in a second. But was this, was your partnership with Roloff before or after you raised the $66,000 and talked to 150 investors? <laughs> <laughs> so this was, so it's, it's a really weird, it's a really weird. So Roloff is actually my second source okay. supplier. So he was going to be. I had him in my business plan as someone that was going to create more of like the, the upskilled trade up product extension of Lumiere. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to make a Lumiere an American made brand. So the 66,000 went towards a lot of the engineering of the bottle was very, very tough. Okay. That was a very, very tough thing to do. And it took a lot of supplier relations and work and just time in order to be able to get it to a point where it was. It was feasible for a bartender to be able to pick it up and pour in terms of bar you know, bar handling. Also, it was something that popped out on the point of sale and the back bar. These things you have to think about 
and also something that could fit within the category as far as giving that more of that elegance look. Mm-hmm. And so this is a a specific this is a this is a new mold. It's not a not a stock bottle. This is a bottle this is a bottle that I had created. So that a lot of a lot of sixty thousand dollars went to the engineering piece mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of like the supply chain supply chain coordination as well. Okay. Back to roll off. Okay. And the Netherlands. Something that I read that was unique about the Netherlands, the Netherlands is their agriculture mm-hmm. um, and what they're able to grow um, in that country ver- that helps with building um, vodka specifically. Are you able to take me through that a little bit and how you came up with your ingredients? Yes, yes. A big, a big benefit of choosing to work with the Netherlands to help meet my vision as well is they ban, and, and the Netherlands or in the EU in general, they ban the use of chemicals, GMOs, and pesticides in their agricultural processes. So in the Netherlands, they have higher crop yields mm-hmm. than they produce, opposed to you know places like in the U.S. They're using chemicals and pesticides in their agriculture to produce things, and you can produce things with more healthier soil and a more enriching agricultural process and method and that's what I really wanted to go to or go towards in order to have produce my grain. Mm-hmm. So one of our grains is barley. We get our barley about a couple of miles from Dutchcraft distillery and it's fresh. You can taste the freshness in the distillate. Mm-hmm. And that was a very important aspect in me creating the mirror was for things that taste fresher. So you see how that all ties in the brand story, yeah. how it becomes signature to the brand taste. I love that. And you said it took 50, 51 iterations to get yes. the flavor that you wanted. Yes. What were some of the like trials and errors that you were finding? Oh man, we tried everything. <laughs> so it'd be hundred percent wheat, barley and wheat. Where we tried corn based things. We tried barley and I, I don't. I can't even. I can't even recall. I, mean, I, have, I have all the. I still have all the samples to this day. I just got to look back at the labels. We tried a lot of different things. Anything was pretty much high in a starch or sugar. We yeah. try to convert and create a a pleasant mouthfeel experience for the consumer. Yeah, I will say when I did taste it, I was like, "This is an elevated experience. It's not like." It doesn't give you that burn when you swallow like the, some of the other um, vodkas out there. And then it also has a, it, it's a different color for sure. For your consumers, do you find, because I, I think a lot about like the demographics of, of different products. And I know that the younger generations, if we're talking about some of the younger millennials and the Gen Zs, love things that are more sustainable, fresher, um, and just better health-wise. Um who would you say is like your avatar, your like audience, if you will, that's drinking your vodka? Absolutely. It's our, our target market is 25 to about 35 year old men and women that are interested in health, fitness, lifestyle, craft production, and they have to be educated. Mm-hmm. Being educated means you're informed and that means you want to just acquire more and more information about things, things that you ingest, things that you consume. And things just interact with overall because you're going to develop a sense of loyalty to that brand. That's also going to give that brand permission to go where it's going to grow. Mm-hmm. And those are the type of people I want to talk to. And those are the type of people that have really influenced the mirror and also are giving us our sales traction right now. So yeah. that, that idea 
and that marketing strategy is working. So where are you guys located right now? And then also, how are you getting the word out so that more people find out about Lumiere? And so we're located in Maryland and D.C. for retail access, either in restaurants, either restaurants. Well, we're and for retail acts, if you want to go to the store and go get it, you can, you'll find us in Maryland and D.C. You can also find us on the shelf at select locations for restaurants and bars. And then if you're not in the Maryland or D.C. area, we can ship to 49 states except Alaska. That's awesome. Is Alaska <laughs> coming up later or can we expect that? What's the deal with Alaska? I think they have some licensing restrictions <laughs> that are kind of outside of our, our realm of what we handle. That's kind of with the the e-commerce our e-commerce partners are e we call them e-retailers do most of your sales come from online or um from liquor stores a lot of them a lot of them come from in in store in store i mean that makes sense i mean look at the packaging it kind of it does stand out from the rest of um the vodkas out there would you say you have a lot of competitors in this space do you think there are other people that are trying to revolutionize vodka I think there are people that are trying to revolutionize vodka, but I don't think they're trying to revolutionize vodka the way we are. Okay. I don't, I don't. What's I don't, the difference? The difference in that is I think we're creating a product that is just built around this next generation's interest. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the category right now is focused on creating something that is more focused on putting the trade first and bartenders first first as far as what they want mm. instead of actually focus on what the consumer wants things that are actually health conscious actually smell nice and approachable yeah. <laughs> and actually have a good taste that elevates their mixology experience their at-home bar because now you took you have these you have these informed consumers that are going home and they're shaking up things i mean people have i'm going to more with people's houses now they have cocktail shakers they're buying yeah. cocktail books they want to know how to do that stuff yeah so why not create a product that can help them elevate how they're doing it Totally. Want to pivot a little bit. What does business look like now versus when you started? Things are much different than when we when we first started. It was very very tough for me to get going, going into speaking to retailers. I think I think the respect level has definitely definitely changed. Not the respect level and our overall numbers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, our numbers are, are very 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 nice right now. But we, the respect level of being able to go into an account and then not even know what it is at all or know who I am or what the brand can even do for them. It was totally different. I didn't have any help when I first started. I was self-distributing. I was going in and out of stores, speaking to retailers, trying to build these relationships, trying to get on the shelf. And it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. What are some mistakes that you think you've learned from? The biggest mistakes that I've learned from is how to spend the money that you do, that you do get from your brand. And when I say spend it, I mean where to put it within your business on how to grow. There's a way to grow. You might think you get a really good idea to spend money a certain way that'll help your brand grow and then you'll realize those things really aren't effective. I, my, my biggest mistakes have just been effective marketing. Okay. There is there's a way to effectively market on a small brand budget to reach people, to generate point of sale traction. What <clears throat> types of marketing have you found to be most successful? The, for you, the best type of marketing is in-store tastings. We we do a ton of those. This is about getting in front of people and getting people to speak and talk about your brand, mm-hmm. not just me doing it all the time. That 
represent your brand really well and build a relationship with the consumer that you're memorable. Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest part. It's about doing marketing that makes you memorable. And I think a lot of time, you know, you would I could get straight away with doing things that don't make us so memorable, but yeah. it actually just looks good to the public. So I think in-store takes is really good for us. I think having collaborations with people who have the influence within the region okay. or in other places are great for us in events. When you are part of people's experience and you make their overall their overall experience at an event a much better time, yeah. then they're going to consider you in other occasions. And then that's how we continually get opportunities are in other places and how you get more events to show up at. Yeah, definitely the word of mind too. <clears throat> yes. Um, how is a bit as a business owner, how do you continue to keep up with the trends or keep up with like what's the now in marketing without deviating from the brand's mission? The now in marketing, I I think is is more digitally focused than anything. And that's the biggest thing to really keep up with. We were to talk about trends or under understanding how to move a brand through digital voice or social presence. But really, when it comes to developing or building an alcohol brand, you just have to be creative overall. I think that's just the biggest way to build the brand. I, I don't think it's about really staying on trend with things or trying to follow things. Mm-hmm. I think it's about finding your own creative way yeah. to uplift that brand's mission and that brand's purpose of even sitting on the show. Some people start and have an idea and are working on a business for years. And comparatively, you have grown this brand um, into something that's pretty fast growing. Why do you think that you've had this much success? Um, what do you think that says about you and your work ethic? I believe I've had a lot of success starting out because... I think brands just had a dedicated founder behind it. That's that's the best way to develop a brand is having a dedicated founder who's who's not scared to get in front of people, who's not scared to put themselves out there, and who's not scared to who's not scared to fail. You might you can have you have several failures on your way to successful positions. Mm-hmm. So I've had times where things just didn't work. It just didn't work within my first year. Yeah. And I think that I also I also listened to people. I didn't just come up with all these different types of features and try to create something that was really cool looking for me. Yeah. And for my own interpersonal reasons. I created a brand that was what people wanted. Mm-hmm. The people wanted. And that's why it's catching on really quick because it's actually what people want to taste, what they want to interact with, and what they want to know about what they're consuming. Is there anything else you'd like to add that I haven't already asked you? I, I think we pretty much covered everything. I'd like to make sure that people follow our social pages. It's Lumiere Vodka, L-U-M-I-E-R-E, no space between Lumiere and Vodka on pretty much every social platform. Our main platforms that we occupy are Facebook and Instagram. Give us a follow. Stay up to date on our content events that we'll show up at. And make sure you subscribe to our email newsletters that we put out as far as new updates about the brand, what states we'll be breaking into. We have a lot more work to do there, and we'll be on your show soon. And then someone else, someone came over to me that had been doing the, the custom thing for like 20 years and just started giving me like gem after gem after gem. It was just wow. like, and and it was like one of those situations where I was like, wow, that, that is why I was sent here. You know, it wasn't for like, 
the financial gain. It was for this like invaluable information. You just heard a clip from my episode with Burl Brown, owner of Street Smart Tailoring, a mobile tailor company here in Washington, DC. If you need a lesson in manifestation or living abundantly, but you also want to hear a story about a really awesome business model, this episode is for you. You can listen to my episode with Burl along with all of my other guests on a Bright Idea podcast everywhere podcasts are available. Okay, before we go, I have a rapid fire round for you. Okay. It's a game. So we're going to get a little, this is good. This is the fun part. So (laughs) here we go. Um, Bars or clubs? Bars. Okay. What's your go-to drink? Dirty martini. What's your go-to pastime when you're not working? Watching cooking shows. Really? Mm -hmm. Are you... Do you like to cook? I do like to cook. I don't have as much time to cook as I used to, but I love talking to chefs, working with chefs on things. I love food. Okay. Yeah. Do you have like a go-to dish that you can make? I like I like to make a Hawaiian steak. I'll marinate the steak. Oh. Like a ginger, pineapple, soy sauce. It'll be about 28, well, 24 hours of marination, and then I'll throw it on a nice charcoal grill. I thought you were going to tell us, like, spaghetti and meatballs. (laughs) 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 I'm a little fancy. I'm a little fancy. Yeah, yeah. You said Hawaiian steak, and I was like, I would be coming over. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. Okay, so my next question is, what is a meal that you could eat for the rest of your life? Sushi. Okay. Yeah, sushi is super good. I don't, I mean, I don't do, I don't get all the the raw types of sushi, but, yeah, I like nice cooked Aren't they all like what are you like a California roll guy or yeah like California all right yeah I feel like if you would have to eat that for the rest of your life it's probably safe yeah. to stay away from the raw okay gotcha yeah, yeah. do you have any toxic traits I, I'm I'm very anxious okay I have to work on my anxiety a lot so. are you nervous now I'm not nervous now but I just I just get anxiety about just making sure things are just done correctly. Okay. Like, or just happening that things are getting completed. So, like, my mind will just wander a lot. No, I have that too. I mean, you saw us setting up. So, yeah. you saw me like, wait, <laughs> actually, can you check that a third time? Um, what was your last impulse buy? Uh, my last impulse buy? Something in Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. I feel like Trader Joe's will get you every time. Alright, yeah. what was it? I think it was a different type of bread or something. Okay. I think, yeah. It wasn't from the frozen food section. No, that section gives me a lot too. Yes. Because yeah, yeah, no, no. that will take all your money. Yeah, I definitely have some impulse buys over there. Too. <laughs> yeah. It's like a shrimp. A shrimp. Like a shrimp pasta or shrimp Something like that. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, who inspires you? I think someone that inspired that inspired me within the industry right now is probably Vaughn Weaver with Uncle Nears. She's doing an extremely good job. Also, just a, a really, a really overall good person to to interact with and has just good business acumen. I just really respect the way that she built her brand and being able to come back after her success and then sell it to other smaller brands. What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice that I've ever received is to be able to walk away 
a lot of times you kind of want to you want to fight for yourself in a room, yeah. but then you got to realize that people just aren't worth your time. Yeah, and you got to be able to move on. I remember when I first started, I was really focused on trying to get every opportunity, but not every not every opportunity is an opportunity for you. Yeah, I think that's such a good lesson too because. I mean, I'm someone that like, no, you have to hear what I have to say. And like, it's not always worth it. I think that's a good lesson to learn. Um, and lastly, where can we find you? You, you can find me, you can find, talking about me physically or? Yeah. <laughs> where can we find Lumiere? Okay, so you can find Lumiere in, throughout Maryland and D.C. And retail stores, we're at about over 130 locations, pushing 140. 140 locations now. You could also, we also ship to 49 states outside of Maryland, Washington, D.C., except Alaska. Okay, except Alaska, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Terrence. That's it for this week's episode of A Bright Idea. Tune in each week as we interview entrepreneurs to find out their aha moments that launched their businesses. Today's episode featured Terrence Wheeler, founder of Lumiere Vodka. To find where you can purchase Lumiere Vodka, you can go to LumiereVodka.com. Lumiere is available in every state except Alaska. Follow them on social media at Lumiere Vodka. We're building a community on a Bright Idea podcast, so follow them on social media, give them a review, and tell all of your friends. Until next week, I'm Amber Key.